Hello, it is Philly here on the Ending Body Burnout show. I just wanted to do a quick announcement before we jumped into today's episode. So last chance, guys, last chance. Doors are open for the Ending Body Burnout method, but they close tonight. So if you have been listening, watching, seeing, reading all our bits and pieces about the Ending Body Burnout Method and and launch week or really month and you're finally keen to take the leap and get to the deepest root cause of your body burnout and finally heal your body for good for lasting results, today is the last chance to join our Ending Body Burnout Method. Go down to the show notes, you can press on the link, you can join right up from that link and get started with getting back your spark and having the body and the life of your dreams. We are so excited for all the people who have joined us so far. So if you want in, today is the day. Today is also the day that you will get it at a ridiculously cheap, um, our old beta prices. Next time when the doors open late November, prices will be significantly higher. So this is the perfect opportunity to dive in and end your body burnout. Hello and welcome to the Ending Body Burnout Show, where your hosts, Chris and Philly, co-founders of multi-award-winning functional medicine practice, serving busy people with energy, mood and gut issues. While busyness, overworking, addictive doing and perfectionism might be the norm, it's not normal and it's a major contributor to health issues. Our goal with this show is to give you a holistic root, root cause approach to healing your body so that you don't have to continue doctor or diet hopping or popping a gazillion supplements hoping something might stick. So get ready to heal your body, get your spark back, deeply connect with yourself and step into the life of your dreams. Let's dive in. All right, so I'm so excited to dig into this episode today. Uh, Chris and I spoke to the amazing Jamin Fraser. Jamin is an award-winning author of four books, TEDx speaker and coach, and the founder of The Insecurity Project. He specializes in providing thought leadership for entrepreneurs, leaders, and business owners on the subject of eradicating hidden and unresolved insecurity. He is widely recognized as one of Australia's best life coaches and a leading voice globally on the subject of personal insecurity. Jamin was recently voted the best personal development coach in Eastern Australia. Now, Chris and I have been hugely influenced by Jamin's work. I actually personally was coached by him for a good six months. Um, He was a huge part of my puzzle for my own personal development and healing of my body journey, including uh, when I had my third burnout episode during COVID and all the physical healing work that I used last time wasn't working this time. Jamin helped me solve that. And we were lucky enough, Chris and I were also lucky enough to spend four days with Jamin at Goulburn 
a couple of months ago, getting further training in his transformational coaching processes, which has had a huge influence in our own work in the Ending Body Burnout Method and addressing deeper root causes around the beliefs we have about ourselves, which dictate our behavior our body systems and our health. And I know you are going to love this episode. It's going to be a different one. Jamin is a different type of person. Um, We're going to talk all things health with the lens of insecurity and self-limiting beliefs that you have about yourself being the deepest root cause of health issues. So buckle up. It's going to be a fun conversation. Thanks for coming on, Jamin. Super excited to, to have you on our Anybody Burnout show. Both Philly and I have enjoyed our experience of you. It's, um, it's been uh, eye-opening, interesting, and- Challenging. And I, challenging. <laughs> My, mine, I don't feel like I've been as challenged because I haven't had the exper- same experience that you have had, um, but I've my experience of you has been- um, it's been cool. It's been a cool vibe and a cool, cool journey, cool experience. But uh, I think it would be cool to start off with diving straight into your area of expertise, which is insecurity. And for our listeners who might not be familiar with with what that term actually means, can you maybe start with defining that for us, insecurity? Well, thanks for having me on the show to start off with. You guys are great. This is this will be a lot of fun. Um, insecurity, right? What does it mean? Well, it's the it's the fear that undermines us most dramatically. It's the fear that ultimately left unresolved leads to madness. So I think it's the thing that weakens human beings um, and easily un observed because people are insecure about being insecure. So it's a hard thing to talk about. It's a thing that people would much prefer to run away from and not examine. So it takes some courage and a bit of counterintuitive willpower to walk towards the light and have a look. But when you do, what you discover that insecurity is actually a fear that your worst opinion about yourself would be confirmed by others. Um, We are most afraid of the things we think are wrong with us. And when we examine when those things first came into being, it's always in our childhood. So we come into the world fine, adequate, and we we get great feedback that we're enough. We're not performing. We're not in a transactional model. We're just being us and it's working fine. But then at some point as we age uh, and got to play in the real world, it doesn't go well for us and we get embarrassed and think the reason we got embarrassed or disappointed or scolded was because of us. So... Um, In our own sense-making, we accuse ourselves of some limit or lack or inadequacy and then think it's true, lock it in, and then for the rest of our lives sometimes, cover and compensate that thing so that no one else finds out. So that insecurity is, if I was laid bare, you would see there's a problem with me. I'm insecure. I'm not safe in myself. Uh, So that's, that's a nutshell of what insecurity really is. Mm. Can, can I ask a follow-on question? Mm. How did you get into into this? Like Philly and I know your story. What's what's um, for our listeners who who aren't aware of you and who haven't come across you before? How did you get into into this, and and why did you latch onto insecurity as being the thing that that you're on a mission for? Mm. It's hard to know the answer to that completely. 
because it kind of feels bigger than me, not even about me. And in some ways, uh, you know, I, I feel compelled to talk about this. But my best guess around why it was this subject that has captured my attention most um, is primarily because I'm a pragmatic person and have an engineering bent to the way I, I see the world and I see things. I, I love structure. So when I was first exposed to the coaching skill set, I just saw structure around human behavioral science, uh, helping people understand why they did the things that they did, knowing that if they could understand why, then they that awareness would then equip them with more choice to improve that. And so when I um, learned more about coaching with the aim of facilitating people to improve the quality of their lives, the structure of the things that was in the way, it was always limiting beliefs, behaviour, and um, that was just the end of the assembly line. That was just what is being produced by the factory of what we believe is true. And so the things that were in the way were always limiting beliefs. And the worst of those self, sorry, the worst of those limiting beliefs were self-limiting beliefs. So I thought, right, I'm going to engineer a better result. I have to pay attention to the base structure of this current result. And that structure is formed as a belief. So um that was it for me i went well to deal with anything else is to not create um, a predictable result if i can get good at uh deconstructing and replacing this bedrock belief a person has about their identity uh, then i'm convinced that we could bring this all the way forward into their current results so i think that's my best answer just it made so much sense that i couldn't avoid what i understood about the structure of things mm. cool i, I think I always talk to Chris after doing coaching with you and I'm like, what drew me to Jamin? <laughs> I mean, there's lots of wonderful things about you, but I think it was that structure, like breaking down it, the the process and the structure of why we do the things that we do. And I came to you not around health, and I do want to talk about health, but I came because there were issues showing up in relationships, in business, in finances, and just my inability to be able to relax into myself. And I didn't think that it was an insecurity issue, but I remember when I was speaking to you on a podcast, <laughs> mm. um, I just started crying for like three weeks. I'm like, there's something, there's something to this. Like there's something deeper that's hidden. Three weeks. Three, <laughs> weeks. A lot of crying. three weeks. I mean, I don't think it was 24 seven crying, yes. but it was enough for me to, okay, I'm going to read the book. Okay. I'm going to reach out. Mm. Let's do something about this. Um, so I came into coaching with you for other stuff in my life, but I also uncovered some insecurities that were affecting my health as well, which was just phenomenal because I felt like I'd done all the things. I felt like I felt like, okay, I think my health is like eighty percent or ninety percent, and I didn't really believe that I could get to that one hundred percent, and then you unlocked some pretty cool things for me <laughs> during the coaching process. So can you talk into how insecurity affects health? Because it kind of makes, oh, sorry, I was going to say it kind of makes sense that insecurity affects behavior. Like if you have dysfunctional beliefs about yourself, then behavior is going to show up in that way. Sometimes mm -hmm. people don't really see how that shows up in health issues. I think it's really obscure and hard to join the dots, but if you're willing to turn the lights on, I think the structure is very logical as well. Um, so if you have these 
convictions that at your core there's a problem with you if you're convinced that you've seen enough that you were there when it happened, when whatever went down when you were a kid and it, it came off second best for you and you're convinced the reason was because of a fault or flaw with you, then you must protect yourself from that being confirmed. So then your best energy gets directed into proving and defending, covering and compensating. So therefore you have to be alert for danger all the time. And uh, the danger is within, there's a problem with you and you can't afford it to ever come out. So I run from the presupposition that the body craves health, that health is the default. Our bodies are an extraordinary machine and every cell is optimized for health. So I think unhealth is, is always a curious thing. And if you can examine the structure of it and see that potentially it's there for a reason and be curious around what that reason could be, there's a logic that says if health is the default, then when I have unhealth, it must be to pull me back from the edge. It must be to get me out of the light. It must be to help me hide. It must be so that people are not looking. It must be to dial down expectations of myself and others so I'm less likely to be exposed for the thing that I'm trying to protect myself from. So I think in that way, unhealth is a very loving strategy to cover and compensate insecurity. And patterns of injury and illness weird health stuff, things the doctor goes, oh, I'm not really sure about that. So the best we can do is um, medi- uh, medicate that. Um, I, t- I talked about psoriasis on my podcast last week that, um, you know, doctors will very cleanly say you'll have this for the rest of your life. Don't know why you've got it other than it's your own immune system fighting against itself. It's an autoimmune condition. We don't really know why, but we can tell it is, and we'll give you some steroids to manage it. Um yeah, I'm much more curious around, well, then why is it doing it in the first place? And when you see unresolved insecurity there, then it's not safe to fully show up. It's it, it can't ever fully show up anywhere. You must have strategies to protect yourself from being found out. Unhealth is one of the cleverest of those protection strategies. It's mm. the way I see it. Can you share the story about the woman? <laughs> The woman who, the woman. with their chronic illness for like years and years and years, because I think that that story just summarises exactly what you're saying there. Um, which woman? Which woman? <laughs> well, any woman. Pick your favourite story. I'm thinking about the one who who um, ends up with the abusive relationship and then she, oh, yeah. But you're yeah, welcome to share okay, any story. Sure. Well, so that's a good one because – there's lots of fun moving parts to this. So, so this woman I got to do some coaching with and she'd grown up uh, in a very, very conservative Christian world where, um, you know, no sex before marriage, um, you know, marriages for life. And she'd got divorced when she was 23 and had two kids already, or 25, 25 maybe, with two kids. And so her first attempt at marriage, the one and only thing you can't fail, she'd failed at. And she was really, you know, felt very guilty and ashamed about herself. And so felt damaged, felt like everyone can see that there's a failure, she's a failure. And so um, she got really sick. And 
she then came back to the church that she'd grown up in and a, a young man, a little bit older than her, fell in love with her, pursued her, and she vowed never to get married again, but um, he found a way through her defences and proposed, got married. Um, and so she'd already been a bit sick, but on the day of her wedding, she got really sick um, and, and was sick for 15 or, or 20 years since that day, the day of her wedding. And so I uh, did experience one five-year period of being uh, free from that. She felt like some people had prayed for her and God had rescued her from this condition, but then had found herself back in that condition and was, when I was coaching her, um, still really sick. And it, it was she was so sick that her husband had had to not work and care for the three kids that they'd had, put his life on hold to care for her. So you'd think, well, that's just an unfortunate situation. The doctor's saying she's got some weird thing that we can't control and, um, yeah, perhaps it's related to some kind of trauma in her past. But, yeah, it is what it is and she doesn't want it. So if she could leave it, she would, but she can't and she's stuck. So, um, yeah, I just kind of deconstructed that to say, well, how is that working for her? Um, I love the, that presupposition. We, we only do what works. People work perfectly. And so if, if health is the default, how could you be unhealthy for that long? And uh, what's the structure of that? So given her background around uh, the guilt and shame she felt for failing uh, and the fact she'd already felt exposed, um, she'd blown her one good chance at this. And so she didn't feel like she deserved it. And so could never really accept it. Here it was love on the doorstep, but I don't deserve love. So I can't ever fully show up to this. And what if I do fully show up to this? And this man rejects me like my last did because the first husband was abusive and violent and she had to escape and flee that marriage. And so if I'm unhealthy, well then, and really sick, even if he does reject me, he doesn't reject the real me, he rejects the sick me. So again, I insulate myself from being found out and exposed as lack of a lack of worth and love. So, and even when some miracle happens and she's free from the sickness, it's like I don't know how to be the healthy me. I only know how to be the sick me. The sick me works. The sick me has others care for. The sick me has no expectations to function in the real world because the real world's scary. I could get found out in the real world. So I'll take that sickness back, thank you, um, and continue to hide from this. So, um, yeah, I, I think I explained all the moving parts in that, but uh, a fascinating story. Yeah. And um, when you examine the structure of things, you can see there's another way of thinking about sickness than some problem that we can't resolve. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Ever since I... We'll learn about that, but also break down the reason why I got sick as well. And now doing it for clients, it's just like it's it's there every time. Insecurity. Mm. It's just like, oh my goodness. And so it's the I think you call it the get out of a free jail card as well. Like sometimes it's just a life is too hard. Um don't want to do the things because if I do and I fail, then it's going to expose this great insecurity, this deepest fear about myself. So I'll just stay with chronic fatigue or depression or anxiety or gut issues is a really interesting one as well. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. It's like, well, I want to show up, but I can't. I got this thing and I wish I didn't have this thing, but I do have this thing. And so it's the reason why I'm not performing at my best and I'm always tired. And so don't expect much from me. Mm. And so there's that. But 
like I was, I was speaking to a woman recently who was in a very, she called it an abusive job. So not an abusive relationship, was working in the government sector, um, being bullied, like really toxic culture. It was affecting her mental health dramatically. She was suffering greatly. Um, and yet she was, she felt she couldn't escape. She felt like, but I got to work. I got a mortgage. I got kids. This is the only thing I can do. And so I'm stuck in this relationship. Mm. So um, I said to her, um, well, here's, here's the challenge you find yourself in. You, you are running the risk of PTSD right now because I formed my uh, thoughts around this when we got to do work with in the soldier recovery unit in Inogra, my former business partner and I, um, the army, have got a big problem with PTSD, obviously soldiers incapable of functioning, but the best they do is rubber stamp them and going, we don't know, psychologist, psychiatrist for the rest of your life. So they were interested in some alternate therapies. So we got to workshop some ideas, but the basic idea of PTSD being um, broken trauma with self, sorry, broken relationship with self, broken rapport with self. So a soldier uh, doesn't make a good human. They're dehumanized as part of their training. They're, they're, their emotions and compassion and empathy and kindness are of no value to them in the army. And so they're trained to just respond to command and control. Don't think for yourself. Don't act out of your emotions. Be a soldier, not a human, which is great for wars, but not good for humans because that human still objectively doesn't like seeing people killed, doesn't like bombs going off, does want to go home to their family, but cannot have any of those emotions. And so eventually what we saw was that they would so break the relationship with themselves because the unconscious did not trust their decision-making. You're a crazy person. You are going to put us in this situation again tomorrow and the next day and the next day of bombs going off, people getting killed, you killing people, you almost being killed yourself. This is crazy and I can't see an end and I don't like it. And so um, the fun of what the unconscious has available to it is the leverage of the physical system. Unconscious goes, well, if you conscious mind are going to continue this crazy decision-making framework, I'll take you out of the game. Um, Breakdown, burnout, chronic fatigue, injury, illness, so that you cannot be a soldier anymore because I can't have this. I can't trust you. Um, So you're out of the game. Now, I've seen people experience the exact same thing in exactly the same way that this woman was talking about in her abusive job. You're telling yourself you must stay your unconscious will say, well, really? Because that's not going to work for me. That's a ridiculous scenario to stay in an abusive relationship. So I'll get you out. You won't like how I get you out, but I'll get you out. Mm. And it'll be chronic fatigue. It'll be breakdown. It'll be burnout. It'll be severe physical illness. So you cannot work and you have a real reason why you don't have to go to your job because you weren't going to make a logical adult decision to go, i got to get out of here. And so the unconscious had to take over. Um, so that's another form of really severe, weird health stuff that happens as a result of insecurity. Because, again, uh, the person who doesn't leave a job doesn't think they're worth any other job or they're good enough for anything and can't be trusted with them with that. So um gets pretty catastrophic if you don't resolve the insecurity. Yeah, huge. This my, uh, This kind of goes along with what you were just talking about. So secondary gains. Um, 
So in, there's another NLP presupposition, you are not broken, you work perfectly, I may butcher this, the exact results you're getting, including your health issues or your level of health, is exactly what your system has designed. Now that's kind of pretty harsh like <laughs> to say to someone <laughs> if they mm. come in and they've got all these health issues and they're completely burnt out and then you say to them, yeah, you created this. <laughs> mm, yeah, Can you yeah. break break down that that presupposition? Because it's yeah. Well, first, so the only way I sorry, Phil. Oh, I just said because it's so like it's so good to understand that you are in complete control yeah. of what you've created, and then you can create something new. It's the most confronting conversation to have, and the the only way I ever get away with it is in the judgment free space. So. In my model around overcoming insecurity, practice five is get help from someone who doesn't care about you. So I'm very clear to say I don't care. Like I'm not impacted by your pain. I don't need you to be out of pain. I'm not rescuing you. I'm not imposing my map of the world over you and telling you I'm right, you're wrong, and you need to do things my way. I'm serving you. If you're in pain and would like to get out of it, sure, I can help. But are you sure you want to get out of pain? Because the things you think are holding on to you, you're holding on to them, by the way. So, like, I can remember the first time I used that with a client who had depression and I just said he had depression for 30 years, really suffering, and finally feels like he's he wants to do something about it. And I just say, how is it not a problem for you to have depression? He goes, um, yeah, but it is a problem. Like, I hate it. It's ruining my life. I can't work. It's ruined my relationships. Yeah, yeah, great. But how is it not a problem to have depression? Um it is a problem. Like, did you not, we're not listening. Yeah. I, no, I heard all that. I heard it loud and clear, but what I'm asking you is how's is that not a problem? What's the benefits of having depression? <laughs> That's an offensive question. Um, <laughs> and, but I just held it there and I don't need him not to be depressed. I'm just, he said he wanted to let go of it. And I'm just examining the fact that he's holding on to it. And so finally we get to the point of the secondary gain. Everything we complain about and tolerate, everything we complain about and tolerate but don't change must be rewarding us, must be working for us. We're incapable of behaving without a reward. And so we finally discover that, in fact, he's got this magic pocket in his back, his, his magic card in his back pocket that he can put on the table. Every time he's feeling nervous about his role as a husband, as a father, or as a friend, as an employee, it's like, oh, I've got depression. Did you know? No, oh, like the doctor said, I've got depression. It's a real thing. I've got depression. Oh, sorry, you got depression. My bad. Um, let me, well, sorry, let me lower my expectations of you in this moment. So he could literally escape into himself for a week at a time with one playing of that card. That's a brilliant card. You don't part with a card like that very easily. So <laughs> you've developed this strategy to run and hide from the world, and the world lets you run and hide. So great strategy. But Still a strategy. Um, if, if he didn't have to run and hide from anything, he wouldn't need depression. So, yeah, this idea of secondary gain, the things that you think are causing me most grief are not holding on to you, you're holding on to them for a reward. And that reward is always around protecting you from the things you're most afraid of about yourself, this insecurity. It's hard hitting but beautifully true. And until you see it like that, you'll think you're fighting something out there. When you've set it up like this, you've designed the system to protect you and it is protecting you. 
it's dysfunctional yeah. and it's against your values and it's hurting you and hurting others, but it is still doing the thing you set it up to do. Make sure no one finds out who you really are. Mm. Right. <laughs> so um, without examining who you really are, you probably will cling to the secondary gain, by the way, uh, the dysfunction, but um, it's solvable if you can solve the insecurity. It's like emotional bubble wrap. It is the analogy that's running in my head. We we create this buffer zone, uh, mm. this facade. It's not real, like re- really, like it's it's a fictional story that be, because that we play out, isn't it? Like um, we yeah. make it make <laughs> we work so hard to try and pretend that it is, and it creates it makes us sick. Well, this is the great irony of insecurity it's all built on a work of fiction by a scared kid so it's not like the tragedy is not the kids get scared and think it's they're implicitly involved that that's not the tragedy that's unavoidable um it's tough being a kid in an adult's world of course you're going to assume that the reason those kids didn't want to play with you is because you you're not as good as them like you're not going to avoid that kind of logic that's not the great tragedy. The tragedy is you get certain that you're right and don't review it. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes this narrative that you invest in and reinforce and live as though it's true. And then it becomes true for you. And so this whole world, all the personas, all the strategies, all the sickness, all to cover something that is a misunderstanding of a scared five-year-old. Boy, it's a lot of energy going into protecting yourself from something you've never needed protecting from in the first place. That's the tragedy. Mm. <laughs> but people build up so much angst and so much fear around this because it becomes, it feels so real to them that they never go back and have a look. Mm. Most like- of my life is spent coaxing scared kittens out from under a lounge. <laughs> a milk going, Come on, darling, Yurik, you can do it. It's going to be okay. Kitty, kitty. I love that <laughs> quote by, I think it's Richard Bandler, uh, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. Have you ever heard that one? I have. I, li- I, li- I like that one. Yeah. It's it's a, it's kind of like a, a, a softened down, hey, you chose all this. <laughs> it's kind of a softened down version of that um, where, hey, I, I hear you. I get you. Um, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. We can go back and review. We can review this. Um th- my experience, though, is it's hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's hard because you've just created that your whole being, your whole structure is built on the lie. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, even fiction, even physiologically, you've created, like, so many neural pathways that take you down that. I mean, mm. it's not impossible, but that's often why people don't do it because it's just like, it's too hard, too scary, mm. can't do it, not able to do it. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, it is hard. And in the book I'm writing at the moment, I'm I'm having my best go at describing the rules for the game of life. If life is a game, um, what are the rules of this game? So the, it's very hard exercise to do to write the rules of the game of life because they're all really, the, I think the real rules, they're very obscure. And that's part of the fun of the game is that, they're hard to find the rules. When you do, it's breathtaking. Um, I, I am convinced that one of the rules of the game is that the obstacle is the way. 
Well, let me let me give you two of the rules. So I think rule number one is life is unfair. So that's stunning when you realize it's a part that's the rule. That's not a broken part of the game. That's the game. And I, most people will never never come to rule one. They'll just think, oh, it's really unfair. Like if this hadn't happened, um, then I, I would be fine, but it did happen. And it's really unfair. And it's it's I, I am a victim of my experiences. I didn't have a happy childhood. I had these things said and done to me and it's really impacted me. Like, yeah, it did. You're right. And it wasn't fair. Absolutely true. You did deserve better. Yep, not a true word spoken. Um, oh, but did you realize that? It is supposed to be unfair. Like who said life had to be fair? Where, who, who taught you that? Yeah, of course it's unfair. You look around and you'll see great inequality. It's not fair. Not ever <laughs> is it fair. Um, but when you realise that, then you kind of go, hmm, it's not fair. Then how does this game work? Oh, well, rule two is the obstacle is the way. What does that mean? Well, Marcus Aurelius, the Stoic philosopher, first said this. He said, well, the thing that looks to impede your path that impossible thing, that obviously all that's in your way. No, that is the way. That really hard thing that you've been trying to get around or you're wishing, ah, uh, because this is in the way I can't. No, that's that's the actual path, the only path, the impossible thing. You will have to do something impossible in this game. But it's impossible. Yeah, yeah, that's the fun of this. It's impossible, but you're a human. So everyday humans do impossible things. That's the wonder of who we are. We do things that are impossible that have never been done before because we desire to. And in the process of doing impossible things, we find who we really are and what we're really capable of. And so it's kind of the hero's journey. The hero always has to do something impossible. It's Frodo, like he's a little hobbit from the Shire and he's going to take on the forces of Sauron and destroy the drink. That's that's an impossible plot. You can't do that. Uh, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, are you though? Yeah, I am. Okay, well, now I'm watching three Lord of the Rings movies to see what happens next. If it wasn't impossible, no one's investing in watching that story. It's not meaningful. So, like, I think that's a big piece in the puzzle. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you invest in the story. Yes, you develop a persona around who you thought you were to cover and compensate. And, yes, you develop dysfunction and neuroses and all kinds of things. It's hard. And you probably won't even know you can review it until your midlife. So that's a lot of evidence that makes it even harder. But... When you go, no, but that's the game. The game's built like that because when you do something that's impossible, you'll discover who you really are and you realise that the obstacle was the way, that woundedness was the gift, that hard thing was the very thing designed for you to become strong. So you wouldn't want it any other way even if you could have had it. So there's some you know, some deep philosophy for our podcast, but I, I think that's a really key part in understanding how this works because insecurity is a universal issue. Every single human who's ever lived and ever will live, uh, none of them will make it out of their childhood without developing limiting beliefs about themselves. And so if you think that's a, a problem with the game, you're off to a bad start. If you go, no, no, that's the design of the game, that's built in, that's for our use, and you go, huh, okay. And it's really hard. Yeah, that's for your use as well. Oh, okay, great. Well, then let's have a look at how this works. Mm. That reminds me of a coaching session we had. Um, <clears throat> I think I was crying. I cried a lot. Um, <laughs> I cry a lot. But I was like, oh, this is so hard. I felt like I was getting somewhere and I was getting like great results and now I feel like I'm back at square one and blah, 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 blah. And you just said, well, I, I think you said life is hard. Life is hard. 
like it's hard, no, suffering. Life is suffering. You can either suffer towards what you want or you can suffer away from what you don't want or like, yeah, away from what you don't want. Um, And that was so good for me because I'm like, I can do hard things. Well, if I'm going to do something hard, I may as well do something hard that's going to lead me towards what I want so I can be happier and healthier and have the life that I want as opposed to continue being miserable. <laughs> Under the, you're pointing your thumb at me. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> was that unconscious? Miserable. <laughs> well, that was a big reason why I worked with Jamie. You're still need again. You were really you're annoying. Like, you're yeah. the most annoying person on the planet. Excellent. And after, after I did work on myself, you weren't. <laughs> I'll try harder. You'll try harder to be annoying. <laughs> Give it a go. I'll stand up to this challenge. Yeah. You're right about the hard things, though. Like when you come to terms with the fact that, yeah, it's, it'll be hard to deal with insecurity, but it'll be just as hard not to. And you kind of get over the fact that it's hard. You're like, huh, so both roads are hard. Okay, so now I'm just choosing between the hard road that leads to life or the hard road that leads to death. Okay, well, I can stop complaining and just put one foot in front of the other and find the hard road that gets me out of here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so your latest book, James has got heaps of books, by the way. I'll pop a link to his website. Latest book is on self-discipline versus self-permission. Is that right? Mm, yeah? It is. So can you talk about that, like especially in the health industry? Mm. I see a lot of people – trying to self-discipline themselves to good health. So like restrictive mm. diets, um, I don't know, like exercise plans, taking a gazillion supplements, and none of that is bad, but I do find that the energy that a lot of people are trying to get health and the things that they need to do, they're hating it. Like they're oh, so hard, hard, the word hard mm. again. I hate it. Um yet they thrash themselves to do the things that they think they need to do in order to get the result. What mm. do you think about that? Yeah, well, self-discipline is built off the insecurity problem because self-discipline works as your best energy against yourself to make yourself do the thing you wouldn't do otherwise. So that comes back to this fact that you can't be trusted. There's a problem with you. You're inadequate. You're silly. You're you're dumb, you're selfish, whatever it is you thought was wrong with you back in the day, and you're still living as though it's true, you have to manage that part of you. And so it stands to reason then that you'll have to use your best energy to override your natural tendencies because if you don't, the worst part of you will come out and take over. So your only chance of getting ahead is through overriding your natural tendencies. Now, you can get away with that when you're young because – you have energy to waste in your younger years. So you don't need efficiency when you're young. You can steal from Peter to pay Paul. You can pull all-nighters. You can be unsustainable. You just bounce back. But midlife, uh, you don't have energy to waste anymore. You're, you're exhausted. And and I love talking to exhausted people because they're ready to rethink a bunch of things because their current strategy really is not working and they wish it would and they've tried it a million times and they're now – ready or almost ready to go, okay, yeah, this is not working. And it's a lovely experience to realise that there's a better way. Uh, if you can break through this misunderstanding of what's wrong with you and, and uncover that it was all a mistake made by a scared child and who, you're, who you really are and develop beautiful empowering beliefs about yourself and actually realise that your nature is good and trustworthy 
then it does away with the need to manage yourself. And if the body craves health, health anyway, then uh, the natural tendency would be toward health, not away from it. So if you relax, you get healthier rather than if you relax, you get unhealthier. Mm. So the book I'm writing is the mechanics of how anyone upgrades from this energy against themselves, self-discipline, to energy with themselves, which is self-permission. Mm. It's a counterintuitive and countercultural idea. I think it's a really beautiful and important idea because uh, if you're still dry, trying to drive yourself from midlife with self-discipline, it's catastrophic and it's so unkind. If you've ever had anyone managing you, like it's so icky to have someone's mistrust and forcing and fighting and tricking and mm. like it's it's so unattractive and so hard to be in that relationship with mistrust. So to do that with yourself, to manage yourself, to trick yourself, to fight yourself, all talking down to yourself at the time, feeling you cannot be trusted, that's not a fun way to be related to, mm. especially if it's all built on a misunderstanding. So, uh, yeah, it's about really resolving that and making the necessary upgrades to your operating system so that you can work with yourself. It is safe to be you in the world and you can uh, have the things that you want, not by fighting against yourself, but working with yourself. Mm. It shows up so much in business as well and work, like the way that people approach making money or getting ahead or, you know, even if they have a big purpose and a passion. Um, I think that was a huge part of the puzzle for me as well is that like I love, I loved and also love what I do, but because I was, had this deeper insecurity of being weak and incapable, then I could never, like I could never, I could never go to bed at night feeling like I'd done enough. It was almost like, oh, the to-do list didn't get all like ticked off and, oh, far out. I've got to do this and this and this. And and even when we would go on holidays or on the weekend, go to the beach with my kids, I, I couldn't relax because that deeper little tiger running around inside of me that, you know, it's not like it's unsafe. It's unsafe to relax if you have this deep core belief that you're incapable at any point, your business is going to like go bust and you're going to lose the house. And like, that is all the stuff that was going on in my unconscious, which was crazy. Yeah. And I, I, I see that happen inevitably. If you haven't had these conversations with yourself, it creates this great pinch point of like your unconscious going, you're out of control. Like you want to grow like you're only handling this, like you're hanging on by a thread here and you want more. So it's not safe. Your success is not safe. You need to upgrade your system. And we've got to have this conversation about who you think I really am and what what you believe is true. So that idea that um, you're the best of you would actively resist you. So I've got a client at the moment who's consistently earning 20 to 30K a month but knows they're capable of 100 and 30, 120, 130, like there's a hundred grand missing from their monthly income. They know it. Yet, no matter what they do, they can't get through there. And so they, they just think it's a self discipline issue. I've got to fight. I've got to force. I've got to be better. I've got to do more. Just got to get it done. And I'm saying, no, the best of you, he's got the handbrake jammed on, he's pulling fuses out, he's sabotaging you, he's trying to ruin your growth. So you do not get there because if you get there without upgrading any of this, this ends in tears. Like you want to add more pressure to this system? <laughs> you already got so many red flags. 
that would be that would be chaos. So to kind of step back and go, oh, hang on a minute, the best of me is saying, could we upgrade the operating system? Could we deal with trust and neediness and understand the game and restore this relationship? That was a, so there's a place of deep safety within resolve the insecurity. So you're not obsessing about what others think about you all the time and always feeling like you're an imposter and all your best energy is going into proving and defending yourself. Like surely you can see that that's a loving conversation to have and you make those upgrades, now you've got energy to invest in growth. Now it's safe to gear up, to scale up, to stand out because you've got safety locked in internally. So now the handbrake comes comes off, full permission to succeed. Yeah, go and do the thing that you know you're capable of because now it's safe. Yeah. It was like I, I knew. I knew intellectually that you could work less and make more money. <laughs> but I hadn't unlocked that until I remember, I don't, can't even remember how long it was until we were doing coaching together. But I'm like, this is weird. Like I opened up our profit and loss and I'm like, how are we making more money? And I actually feel like really relaxed and calm and like I'm doing less. Like what is, what is this magic that's going on here? But it was just like the energy, not even the energy to be able to be more productive or to make clearer and better decisions. But I think it was just the conversations that I had with people, the way that I started showing up differently that no one else probably really noticed, but like that energetic shift changes when you can back yourself. Yeah, well, it becomes safe now. Like I think that's the simplicity here. It's safe to earn more money because now you're not doubting that you deserve it, doubting that you are worthy of it, doubting that you're capable of sustaining it. So it's safe to earn more money. The same with health. Like I say to people who have been so desperate to fight against themselves to get health and they're still battling extra weight or sickness, I say, well, what's dangerous about being attractive? Clearly it's not safe to be healthy, which seems so strange to say, but it's the only logic. Yeah. Until it's safe to be attractive, you will be unattractive. You will hide your light. You will not show up at your best where it matters most. But as soon as there's nothing to prove and defend anymore, you've got your own back, you trust who you are, it's now safe to show up. And secure people are attractive people because why wouldn't they be? They're, they're, they're comfortable being in the light. They're comfortable sharing their gift with the world. To do that, you've got to be seen. You've got to be heard. Mm. You can't be hiding away. So that whole safety piece is massive and uh, ultimately that's that's the permission conversation. You don't have permission because it's not safe. As soon as it's safe, you'll watch a natural progression into more money, into more health, into better relationships, into the things that you desire because, of course, you know you're capable. You've always been capable. That's not the problem. You've just been directing all your best energy into covering and compensating for a story you told yourself about who you really are when you were a young kid and you've never resolved that. So that's the tragedy of insecurity. It just gets in the way of good people trying to do good work in the world and then we all miss out. Mm. (laughs) It reminds me of a a coaching conversation I had with someone recently around weight, like really struggling to, you know, do the things to lose the weight as well. And it's just like, oh, it doesn't make sense because I desperately don't want this. And then uncovered that when she lost a bunch of weight – she got married to a good guy who ended up being a bad bad guy, cheating on her with lots of people, and then got divorced or split up, put on all the weight again, and now she's in a loving relationship. But there's like a deeper fear that, oh, if I'm thin, 
Mm. One, when I had that experience, I got rejected and hurt. And then what if this happens again, being thin, when I'm at my most beautiful and I'm rejected, then what does that look like? What does that really mean about me? Kick in the guts. (laughs) And that's really a common theme, I think, too, with Mm. weight. Yeah. It's useful to really examine that insecurity is what we think about us, not others. That's the misdirection. People get so concerned with, I don't want others to reject me. I'm afraid that people will hurt me. People won't like me. People will judge me. You're not afraid of that. You just don't want what you think about you confirmed by anybody else. You are most afraid of what you think about you, not what they think about you. You just don't want it confirmed. That's all we're talking about here. So therefore, you control all the moving parts. Because if you're afraid of what's out there, then you've got to control everybody else. You've got to constantly obsess about making sure they do like you and they do accept you and they don't judge you, which is uh, a very tiring you know, endeavour and unsustainable fool's quest, really. So useful to come back to this idea that you're the storyteller, you're the one who decided there was a problem with you. It's your job to review if you got it right and to set yourself free. Mm. Okay, one last question. How do you, because I know you have a, a different type of lifestyle, how do you keep yourself healthy, happy, clean relationship with yourself? <laughs> well, I don't keep myself. I just am happy and healthy. <laughs> um, a subtle form of management, I, I don't have to keep myself. I, I am because why wouldn't I be? I, I love life. I am alive I, I am life. Like it's, I am able to show up here at my best where it matters most. So that's, uh, that ends up being very healthy. And there's no reason for it to be anything other than that. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Awesome. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm going to pop in the show notes. If anyone has found this even remotely interesting, I'm sure that everyone's found it very interesting. Um, Unhindered book. I'm going to pop a link to Jamin's Unhindered book in the show notes because it is awesome. Mm. Such a good book. So many punchy bits. And you go through in that book too how to solve insecurity in your seven steps. Mm. Yeah. It's It's a read multiple times book for me. I don't know if you can see on my bookshelf, it's kind of blurry. I've got some books that are horizontal and some that are vertical. The vertical ones get referred to occasionally, but the horizontal ones are like very regular. Uh, Are all Jamin's books. (laughs) Yeah, yours yours in the horizontal. (laughs) Wow, that's great. Um, Well, it's a predictable process. It's how anyone has ever resolved insecurity, seven essential practices. It's how... My first job was to solve it for myself and then out of the overflow of that to create a model and framework that others could use as well. Yeah. So good. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. So appreciate you. And, yeah, check out Jamin's latest podcast, which might be like a month away or behind by the time that this one's out. It's like a time for On autoimmune condition and whether you can or cannot eat gluten. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. It's a good one. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Thanks, Jamin. Thanks, guys.
thank you so much for listening. We so appreciate you. If you'd like to give us extra smiles, drop us a review and spread the love by sharing this episode. You can also rate your own state of burnout and the root cause contributors by taking our ending body burnout assessment on our website. And if you're interested in learning about our group or one-on-one ending body burnout programs, shoot us a DM via Instagram or Facebook. Have Have the the best best day day ever. ever. (laughs) Ha <laughs>